I'm from New Orleans, and in New Orleans, you swing a cat, you hit somebody with a bow tie. They're they're almost omnipresent. Uh, it also is uh, kind of a, an icebreaker. And in my job, uh, having something to make you feel more approachable uh, is helpful. Unity. 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 Podcast. By Embryo Critchfield, a project by the WKU Talisman. Do it. In this episode of Unity Podcast, we have President Caboni speaking about the impact he wants to have on WKU's campus and his first journey to Hilligan's. So I did want to start by asking you, what interests you in becoming president? You know, um, one doesn't grow up as a child thinking I want to grow up and be president of a university, and uh, that's certainly the case with me. Uh, but I've really enjoyed uh, my time as an undergraduate. Uh, I went to LSU as an undergraduate. Uh, it was an important time for me. It helped me think about uh, perhaps becoming a university professor. I remember it, I was in the honors program there, and James Hardy was m- one of my favorite professors, still is one of the best classes I've ever had in my entire uh, collegiate career. And so I started thinking then about what did it mean to be a professor and uh, came to Western Kentucky University in 1993 and got a master's degree here, went back to higher education uh, to do alumni relations and uh, fundraising work and travel around the country with a new president at Loyola University. And that was the first time when I thought I might be interested in doing the work. I've always, I've loved universities. Uh, I've certainly enjoyed my time as a student so much that I've either worked at or been a student at university ever since I left high school. <laughs> and uh, so it's, it is a terrific life. And uh, uh, the reason you do the work, though, is for students, primarily. And this place and my entire u- university career changed my life for the better. And what I want to make sure that we're doing as a university and what my daily service is about is about making sure that we transform the lives of WKU students every single day and paying attention to that, thinking about how do we align ourselves to do that better, uh, making sure that every young person that we admit graduates in four years and moves on to something really amazing in their lives. Do you have any initiatives in bridging the racial and cultural gaps between students that are in the Honors College as well as the rest of campus? I've been talking a lot about the need to uh, move our investment down the hill, and we've done a terrific job at building an honors college, thinking about international students. Uh, but our, this university was built uh, to serve the region and to serve a broad swath of young people. And what I want to make sure we recapture uh, is uh, that we're here for every single one of our students. And so I've, I've told student organizations, I don't want to privilege anyone. I want to come to any organization that wants to have me. And that's symbolic and important. The same thing's true around our investment. And so I've proposed, and I'm going to work together with the Student Life Foundation, that as uh, Bemis Lawrence and Barnes Campbell Halls come down, that we don't think of that as building replacement. We really think about it as building a freshman village or first-year experience Uh, that integrates every young person outside of the classroom and inside of the classroom into something that's special. Uh, No matter if you're an honors student, if you're an athlete, if you're a student who's majoring in broadcasting and doesn't do anything other than broadcasting, (laughs) I want you to feel special and valued. And the reality is uh, our honors students uh, are going to do remarkably well no matter what we do. Uh, these are bright, talented young folks. There are other students that may need a little more support and a little more attention, and I want to make sure we're investing our resources there as well. 
Uh, our graduation rate has to improve. Our first to second year persistence rate has to improve as well, particularly given Kentucky's performance funding model. We know we're going to compete against other universities, and funding will shift from one institution to another based upon performance. In that world, we need to win. Uh, it's, it's crucial for us, and one of the ways we're going to do that is making sure ever more of our students who begin with us finish with us. And if you could use one word, one word to summarize what you want your legacy to be, uh, what word would that be? A single word. You want me to encapsulate <laughs> everything, decades of work in a single word. Yes, um, I know it's kind of tough, but... You know, transformational is thrown around a lot, and uh, so I'm not going to use that word. I think it's what we do for student lives. Um, I think a better word might be memorable. Uh, I want people to look up back on this time and say we've done things that are important for students, important for Bowling Green and the economy, important for our institutional culture. And what they remember most is a conversation that we had as an institution and as a community that we really all pulled together uh, created a shared vision that we all aspired to, and we worked really hard to pursue and attain that. Uh, and that, in and of itself, is going to be memorable. And so I think that's the word that I'd use. And what encouraged you? Um, I know you said that you've never really left higher education ever since you've been out of high school. But what made you stay dedicated to higher education for this long? You know, my undergraduate experience was multifaceted. I was an honors student, and so I was challenged intellectually. I was president of my fraternity, uh, which means I was deeply engaged in social activities and service projects. I was in the band, uh, so I was this huge one of 280 players that cheered on uh, football in the fall. And for me, the ability to be on my own, uh, to challenge myself intellectually, to develop deep personal relationships with individuals that have lasted a lifetime and to do an environment where everyone was excited about what was happening, uh, there's no better way uh, to spend one's life. And then you think about doing that, for me, with 20,000 individuals here at WKU. Uh, the ability to help other young people have that experience is incredibly rewarding. I don't have children of my own, but I have 20,000 young people for whom I'm responsible. And thinking about it that way every morning uh, and worrying about it every night as I go to sleep uh, is really how I approach the job. And so that's why I've never really left. It's, uh, it keeps me young, and I think it keeps faculty young and other folks who work in the environment. It's just a great place to be. And transparency seems to be something that you really value um, as far as being transparent with the students here at WKU as well as the faculty. Is there one that you would choose over the other as far as WKU's image or being transparent with the students of what's going on here? Look, I think that universities are interesting organizations because of the shared governance model that we have. That uh, They have a board of regents that's really the strategic level, the faculty that think about curriculum and intellectual issues, and kind of an administrative level that thinks about uh, student affairs and finance. And you, you balance, and, and but the reality is that uh, who runs uh, the university? And the answer is, well, a lot of folks do. And if you're going to be successful as an institution, Shared governance has to be about having honest conversations, having data available to shape decisions and influence decisions and help make decisions. It also means sometimes we're going to have difficult conversations and uh, sometimes brutal honesty uh, may be necessary. Uh, but at the same time, we can also disagree. It's one of the great things about 
uh, university environment. Uh, the back and forth, the conversations around uh, you know, shared aspirations, thinking about uh, the ideal of a university that we, uh, we would like to attain, but we may never get there. But what a terrific ideal to pursue. And so I think that for me, uh, being trusted is about sharing information, being willing to be honest and call things as they are. And uh, I, I think that in all of the university leaders I've seen, uh, that's where you, you have the best result, where it truly is a partnership uh, where faculty, where the university leadership, uh, where students, where everyone who has a stake in the institution is involved and feels like it's their university and where it's headed is something they've had a role in shaping. The strategic planning process we'll go through this year is going to be really important for that. And not every person will see everything they want in that plan. Uh, that's a recipe for disaster, to be honest. But I'm hopeful that everyone who's involved will take a look at the final product and say, you know, that's something that is important to me. That's something that I can believe in. That's something I want to work on, and that'll be good for the university. If we have enough of those and we can capture the entire community, I think we're going to be in great shape. And in the wake of Charlottesville and everything that happened there, um, what to you does unity look like at WKU? So we have lots of different people from all around the world who have different backgrounds, who have different beliefs, and that's what makes the university a terrific place to be, that there's a marketplace of ideas, that we can have disagreements without being disagreeable, uh, that we can think about uh, different disciplines and literatures and think about how they work and, and what that means within those, tra those different traditions. At the same time, and I said this in my convocation address and I mean it, we have a set of core values as an institution uh, that must remain, uh, to which we must remain steadfast. And one of those is that hate and bigotry will not be accepted or tolerated on this campus. And uh, I think that's not just true for WKU, that's true for higher education in general. Uh, that it uh, violates our core values and that uh, as a community we have to be really clear about what those are and I, I think they're they're stated beautifully in the in the creed sometimes we just need a reminder of what it is we hold dear and who has been a key leader or mentor in your life that has inspired you uh, there have been many uh, most recently though it's um, and the woman from whom I think I've probably learned the most as a university leader is my immediately, immediate past boss, uh, Bernadette Gray-Little. She was chancellor at the University of Kansas from 2009 through 2007. She invited me to join her there in 2011, and we spent six years together really working to elevate KU. And uh, she was uh, a strong leader, uh, but led with amazing grace and wisdom. Uh, she challenged me on several occasions to grow individually as a leader. Uh, and uh, I, I will say that she probably will be, in my life, one of the most in influential people for whom I ever worked. She's certainly the person that I respect the most as a leader in higher education because not only was she able to move an institution, uh, she did it while never compromising her values and uh, was absolutely direct and clear about those. And her life story also was amazing. So she was a personal inspiration 
uh, for what she accomplished in her life and her career and continuing to accomplish in her life and her career. She's not retired. She's continued to work in higher education. But the influence on me uh, is one that I'll carry with me for the rest of my career, both her, her strength, her ability to make decisions not based upon politics but on the best interests of the institution, uh, and to really put self-interest to the side. I th- she was a remarkable example for me, and I ref- reflect frequently on uh, what it is she's taught me. Uh, we've exchanged text messages a few times since I've been <laughs> here as president, and uh, I, I imagine uh, I'll send her this too as well, uh, a bit of a thank you. Is there a time of day that you reserve for yourself? Because I'm sure with the busy schedule, <laughs> you really need time to kind of recharge and refocus. So Sundays are for family. And uh, we, we really do everything in, in our power in, in the office to really hold Sundays uh, as inviolable. Um, the other six days, they're pretty much free, free game. So <laughs> we, we, we will, it's a job that does start at 7 or earlier in the morning um, and goes till 10 o'clock at night or later. Uh, I, the, the piece that I've learned that I didn't really understand, you can sit next to somebody who does the job and not actually understand it until you get put in the seat. I have homework again. <laughs> and I never really, uh, I didn't really understand that I was going to have homework as a university <laughs> president. It's terrible. So I think I've completed a day. You know, I'll start off with a breakfast meeting, wind up at uh, five o'clock. I know I'm getting ready to go to a six o'clock dinner and that will wind up somewhere around eight or nine o'clock at night. And when folks finally leave the house and I have uh, some quiet time to myself. I also know that I have a stack of folders that I have to go through (laughs) to answer questions and do homework and sign things before I can go to bed and start the next day. So uh, I've always used uh, both Sunday as a time to recharge, but my thoughtfulness occurs uh, either very early in the morning if I can get up uh, and get on my uh, my bike and and, uh, on the trainer at least and ride a little bit. That's it's good for my personal health. Uh, and perhaps my mental health as well. (laughs) And and then uh, in in the evenings as well, trying to decompress, reflect on the day and um, get through my homework and then take a look at the binder that preps me for the the day ahead. So that's that's really how I've done it. Uh, The first, as you enter an organization, you only get one chance to do it the first time. And so uh, right now it, it really is a frenetic pace. At some point it will still be incredibly busy, uh, but perhaps, perhaps a little more measured. So speaking of homework, I did do my homework on you, and I checked out on your LinkedIn. I saw that student development was a quality or a trait that you said that you'd had, and I did see you got quite a few likes on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, in what ways have you seen someone that you've developed um, grow or where are they in life that you've kind of helped them and been like, oh, this is nice, like you're really, you know, <laughs> I remember when you were this, the diamond in the rough, and now seeing where they are now. I have um – tens of hundreds of students uh, spread across the country who came through a master's degree program that I was responsible for at Vanderbilt. And uh, these are individuals who wanted to become uh, fundraisers or do alumni relations, some of whom had aspirations to become university presidents. And uh, there are uh, are many uh, who still have my cell phone number uh, that I uh, keep in touch with on social media who have moved from one position to the next, have really grown over time, and are now placed at universities all across the, all across the nation. And so I, I would want to single one of them out, uh, but there are so many of them who came into uh, the program at, at Vandy 
uh, thinking about, I want to be a fundraiser, but I've only had limited experience. And now you see after 10 uh, or now 17, uh, 17 years <laughs> since I started teaching in uh, there, uh, these folks have actually had full-blown fundraising careers, some of whom are moving to vice president roles, uh, others who serve in chief of staff or senior development positions. And some, eventually, uh, I know there'll be more than one or two that wind up being university presidents as well. And during your time in Nashville, what was your favorite food place? Because I'm a big foodie, <laughs> so I need to know. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, so I once you have hot chicken... Oh yeah, you, you can't you go can't, back. You can't. You can't get that that desire out of your mouth. And so, uh, it, it, I'll I'll tell the story. It's kind of funny. Uh, when I was coming for uh, the transition visits, um, I would rent a car in Nashville and drive to Bowling Green and do two to three days here. And there were times when I would try to squeeze in an extra <laughs> hour. So I could go to, I could never get to Prince's because it takes too long. But oh, I, yeah. <laughs> but I could order when I left Bowling Green from Hattie B's. <laughs> I would drive the car to Hattie B's, pick up hot chicken, stuff it in my luggage, and fly it back to Kansas with me. And so uh, I love food. I love hot chicken. I love too hot hot chicken. Uh, and, uh, but that's probably one of my, my favorite Nashville uh, food memories. Uh, the other was really... Um, watching Nashville grow from a, a city that uh, the best food you could get were probably meat and threes with a couple, a couple of other uh, options available to what is just a remarkable food city now with a great kind of southern food scene and, and how the, the, the city's taken off and the effect of that on Bowling Green as well. So we've got remarkable restaurants and options here uh, that didn't exist 20 some odd years ago. It's been uh, fun to explore. I will admit that I went to um, I thought nobody would know I was in town yet, and so I put on a ball cap and took off my bow tie, and <laughs> and, and Casey and I went to uh, Hilligan's, and uh, we walked in, <laughs> and uh, nobody uh, recognized me, at least so I thought, and about halfway through the meal, uh, someone came up and said, well, so President Caboni, how do, how do you like how do you like your chicken fingers or whatever the same word? And I said, well, it's, it's pretty good, and uh, this is probably the last time I'm in Hilligan's, maybe till homecoming. So... Uh, Funny story about food. And, you went and to maybe the most high key place to try to go and fly under the radar. Uh, so, have you been to uh, like Six Four Three or White Squirrel Brewery? Any of those places? Uh, yeah, and uh, we we actually have. And uh, folks who come to know me will know how much I I like to cook. I like to eat more than I like to cook, which is a problem <laughs> sometimes. That's why I have to be on the bike in the mornings. <laughs> uh, uh, but that I also. Uh, uh, support l and want to support locally owned uh, restaurants and, and outlets. And so uh, 440 Maine and, and uh, Mariah's and, and Steamers and White Squirrel Brewery, and th the list goes on and on and on where we've uh, Gerard's Tavern. I love uh, Ryan's Fatted Calf where we get meat and come home and cook it and supporting the farmer's market and our WKU cheese that we serve at all of our events. Uh, I, I just want to shine a light on the great college town that Bowling Green is. And one of the ways to do that is by being part of the community, eating in our local establishments and, and making sure we're supporting good, strong local uh, Bowling Green businesses. You've definitely delved in. You just like <laughs> listed pretty much almost every restaurant in Bowling Green. So I know you're a foodie for real. <laughs> <laughs> so Kentucky's public universities possibly will be leaving the state retirement system and creating a pension of their own. Have you been in on discussions on that? So one of the things uh, that we know is facing the state uh, is a tremendous gap between what the Commonwealth needs to fund pensions and what it has available. 
And so w there's going to be an evolving conversation during the next several months uh, about what does that pension system look like uh, and how can it be shored up? Part of that is a political, co political conversation, but it has real implications uh, for universities, particularly for uh, comprehensives. And so one of the things that I've learned during the past several months is that how much of a cost driver pensions are for WKU. Uh, in one of our pension systems, the university's contribution in the past decade has gone from 8% of an employee's salary up to 48% of an employee's salary. The amount of revenue that eats up that could be devoted to other things uh, becomes a real challenge for institutions. There's some conversation around that going from 48% up to some higher number, 55%, 66%. There are numbers all over the map. And so one of the things that I think we have to make sure we're talking about is how, what can we do to protect every person that's already in that pension system uh, and doing what's in our power to make that an important part of the conversation uh, to make sure that we're maintaining true to the agreements that we have with those folks and to make sure that that pension system exists for them long term. At the same time, I, I also think we need to think about what happens for people who are new to the institution. Are there other ways that we can uh, think about how one does retirement that other institutions have done? And we know that the University of Louisville and the University of Kentucky both have defined contribution plans uh, different from a pension system. Uh, that may be, um, that will likely be, will certainly be part of the conversation. Uh, why do they have that and is that something that we should consider? Uh, what are the advantages and disadvantages to that? Not just for folks, uh, not for folks who are in the current pension system. Again, I think you want to make sure that the agreement that has been struck with them is is solid and that they get the, their, their planning has occurred. They get those, uh, those pensions that have been, uh, they've been working toward for years. But that individuals who are new to universities, uh, because we're, we wouldn't be breaking any promises, what does that new compact look like and how do we do that? I think that will be, that'll be the conversation, uh, making sure that we're able to help all of our employees plan for retirement, um, do it in a way that folks who are in the pension system continue to have uh, that pension uh, and are protected, and that folks who are new to the institution, what's the best, th the best thing for them, but also how do we do this in a way that's sustainable? Because at the state level, it's not sustainable as it exists now, and because of that, the pressures on universities uh, have squeezed out other things and made it really difficult to do uh, salary increases or other things that we might have done otherwise. So, um, no decisions obviously have been made. I, the governor is talking about a special session, and uh, I, I want and I'm hopeful that higher education is a part of those ongoing conversations. When you look back, um, what is the impact that you hope to have or something that you really want to see grow as far as initiative-wise? It has to be uh, embracing and then living what it means to be a student-centered applied research university. Student-centered is something WKU has always prided itself on, uh, but we have to live that value promise and that brand promise. We have to make sure that every person that we admit to this university has a reasonable chance of graduating in four years. And so if we look back in 10, 15, 20 years, however many years it is that 
uh, I'm so fortunate to serve as president, that we'll say that we've made gains in not just recruitment because of what we do for students, but in terms of persistence and graduation rates. We must graduate more. We have to recruit uh, ever more talented and able students, but also we have to make sure those students in the middle of the bell curve are well served and anyone who might struggle that we put the support systems around them for them to be successful as well so that's one part the other is really articulating what an applied research university is and does uh, i spent my entire career at, at research one institutions we're not built for that we're not going to become that and there's no shame in that uh, because applied research universities actually do work that has immediate applicability to real-world challenges and engaging undergraduate students in that research is really different than what happens frequently at an R1. And so for me, uh, there are young people in uh, this state that are making choices based upon some other, some other reasons, family reasons or you know, it's just where everybody else is going, uh, to 10 other institutions. And we got to make sure we articulate the great value that we have here, that we're student-centered, what an applied research focus looks like. And by the way, we also have a total college experience, but our faculty are gonna know your name as you walk down uh, the sidewalk, and they're all focused on student success, and that you're not gonna have your undergraduate courses taught by graduate students, you're gonna be taught by full-time faculty. If we can do that, it's a huge win. And so what is the significance in your bow tie, I must know? So no real significance. I, uh, sometimes folks will hear me say that it's less material to hang me with as I walk by, and that might be good uh, going to university senate meetings. I, I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, it, it, number one, uh, I'm from New Orleans, and in New Orleans you swing a cat, you hit somebody with a bow tie. They're, they're almost omnipresent. Uh, it also is uh, kind of a, an icebreaker, and in my job, uh, having something to make you feel more approachable uh, is helpful. And the last is, uh, I, I think they're, they're in some ways joyous. Uh, they're just kind of fun and a celebration. And as I tell folks, if, if I'm not fu having fun doing the job, there's no reason to do it. So it'll be hard work be a lot of hours, but we're going to have a good time accomplishing what we're going to accomplish, and it kind of signifies that. And do you have a bow tie that you wear on special occasions or one when you're, like, getting ready for a big interview or something of that nature? So, as my wife will tell you, I have way too many bow ties, <laughs> um, and so there, uh, I did get a special new one for convocation, uh, and so there actually are ties that are related to specific memories or events that I have. I remember the ties that I wore uh, for interviews uh, for this job. Uh, I remember that I know the tie that I was wearing at the press conference that announced me. I know the tie that I was wearing at convocation. And so when I put those on in the morning, they're just, they're fun reminders of what I've managed to do while wearing that particular tie. At the same time, it's also symbolically important. Uh, I've said to students at uh, freshman convocation that we wear red and we share, show up and the other day, I, I managed to uh, identify some young people who were wearing other university shirts on this <laughs> campus. I did see on Twitter. And uh, we, we were, that's not the way we, we do it here. Uh, and, and so if you're wearing the wrong color red or uh, another university shirt at WKU, be, be forewarned. I might jump out <laughs> of a bush with a WKU shirt and surprise you with it. And so, uh, again, wearing red is important, supporting the institution. Uh, it's your home. It's where you are. Uh, and uh, I hope uh, and I know that everyone will show up 
uh, in just 10 days from now for the EKU-WKU football game, decked out in red. It's going to be a, a, a terrific, terrific uh, uh, occasion, and I, I'm looking forward to tailgating. It, that didn't really exist when I was here the first time. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being a part of Unity Podcast. I can't wait to release it and hear all the jokes people are going to have about this. <laughs> thank you so much. It's good to be with you.